0: "'When Temple arrives,' proceeded Mrs. Moffat smoothly, "'you will show him in here, and then go down into the basement.' "'Basement?' said Van Draper, obviously puzzled. "'My God!' cried Ben. "'You don't want me to flood the basement?' "'That is exactly what I do want you to do.' "'Only make certain the Temple is in the basement "'before the water reaches the first grid. "'Why, he'll be trapped like a rat,' gasped Guest. "'But Ben was beginning to fall in with the idea. "'The idea's all right,' he said suddenly. "'If we can once get Temple into the basement.' "'You'll get him there,' pronounced Mrs. Moffat calmly. "'If you use your head.' "'Ben nodded thoughtfully. "'The more he thought of the idea, the better he liked it. "'After all, the loch was supposed to be deep, "'and there would certainly be no trace of the body. "'We'd better start packing the screen apparatus,' said Van Draper suddenly. "'He was halfway to the door with Guest when Ben stopped him. "'Just a minute,' said Ben. "'What the devil happens to me after it's all over?' "'You'll meet Iris at the junction near High Moorford,' Mrs. Moffat informed him. "'She'll bring you down to the chalet. "'Is that clear, Iris?' "'The actress nodded, stubbed out her cigarette, and rose. "'It looks as if I won't get that part in Temple's new play. "'After all,' she murmured, with just a trace of regret in her voice. "'Ben turned to guest.' You'd better give me a hand with that pump. It takes a devil of a time to get it going, he declared. All right, said Guest. I'm off now, decided Iris. I'll see you later, Ben. Okay, he grunted. And for God's sake, mind you're there in time. I don't think Hardwick will give you any trouble, said Mrs. Moffat. But if he does, you'll know what to do. "'Don't worry about Hardwick,' snapped Van Draper. "'We'll handle him all right.' "'I can't see why, the devil, we should take Hardwick down to the chalet. "'Just because of Temple?' "'Guest protested rather irritably. "'If we intend to get Temple, then why on earth don't we—' "'Mrs. Moffat silenced him with a gesture. "'We can't take any chances,' she told them. "'Not where Paul Temple is concerned. "'Hm?' Perhaps you're right, Guest conceded. Shall you come down to the chalet, Mrs. Moffat? asked Iris. No, at least, not till later. In answer to Iris's inquiring glance, she forced a smile. I can't, because of Z-4, she said. I may be wanted. Paul Temple was not a little surprised to find the rather ornate gate to the drive of Skerry Lodge wide open according to Bryant Hubert C Hardwick had found this very gate heavily padlocked could Bryant have been telling the truth he made no comment to Steve whoever was at home in Skerry Lodge reflected Temple could not fail to hear the car approach soon the front porch came into full view with a corner of Loch Aberford visible beyond a terrace to the right of the house. Temple drove boldly up to the rather massive front door, and the car drew up with a slight screech of brakes. He switched off the engine, and they sat in the car for two minutes, surveying the landscape. After a little while, Temple leapt out, and Steve joined him. By Timothy! Bryant was certainly right about this place, Temple decided, looking up at the gaunt walls. "'Darling, don't you think we ought to go round to the side of the house "'before we try the front?' murmured Steve, rather nervously. "'Shh!' said Temple, who was inside the front porch by now. "'There's someone coming.' "'He had rung the bell without Steve noticing it. "'Now it's perfectly all right, Steve. Don't get frightened.' "'Heavy footsteps echoed on the stone flags inside, "'and presently the door was opened by Ben.' "'who stood stiffly in the doorway. "'Good evening, sir.' "'Good evening,' replied Temple pleasantly. "'I should like to see Mr. Hardwick. "'My name is Mr. Hardwick. is very busy just at the moment, sir. "'But if you'll step this way—' "'Thank you,' replied Temple. "'Come along, darling.' "'Ben was rather taken aback "'to find Temple accompanied by his wife, "'but managed to conceal his surprise.' He ushered them into the drawing-room. What name shall I say, sir? Temple. Paul Temple. Thank you, sir, said Ben gravely, and retired, closing the door firmly behind him. Steve clutched her husband's arm. Paul, she said in low, urgent tones, tinged with alarm. Paul, we shouldn't have come here. It's all right, darling, repeated Temple reassuringly. He was busy taking rapid stock of his surroundings and trying to work out a rough geography of the place. I say, it's a pretty decent sort of a house, this. Certainly believes in doing himself well. He crossed to the sideboard and thoughtfully surveyed the three empty whisky bottles and the large pile of cigarette ends on the ashtrays. There's been quite a party, he mused. Steve's voice brought him out of his reverie. "'I didn't notice Sir Graham when we left the inn,' she was saying. "'I hope you told him that we were coming here.' "'Sir Graham was telephoning. "'Rather important, I should imagine.' "'Temple paced up and down the room. Hardwick must be worth a packet by the look of things,' he said. "'Just take a look at this picture.' "'He moved over to examine the oil painting rather more closely, "'then stopped short. "'What is it?' asked Steve. "'He's coming back.' "'A moment later, the bulky form of Ben loomed in the doorway. "'Mr. Hardwick is extremely busy, sir,' he announced. "'But if you'd care to step down to his laboratory, "'I think he might be able to spare you a few moments.' "'Yes, of course,' Temple agreed. "'Come along, Steve.' "'I should leave your things here, sir,' interposed Ben, taking Temple's hat. "'You'll be able to pick them up on the way back.' "'He appropriated the light coat Steve was carrying "'and led the way along a short passage "'and down a flight of rather badly lighted stairs. "'Directly facing them was a massive oak door, "'which Ben immediately flung open. "'This way, sir. This way, madam. "'Mr. Hardwick will be along directly.' "'The door closed.' "'and Temple and Steve found themselves in a most unprepossessing cellar "'lighted very dimly by partly concealed ventilators. "'An old table stood in the far corner of the room. "'Paul, I don't like the look of this place,' said Steve, with a slight shiver. "'No, I'm not exactly enamoured myself,' Temple agreed. "'Suddenly he walked swiftly to the door, turned the knob and pulled hard.' "'but it seemed almost as immovable as the wall itself. "'Paul? What is it?' cried Steve, noticing his jaw drop. "'He was silent for a moment, making a last attempt to move the door. "'My God, Steve! We ought to have had more sense,' he murmured bitterly. "'We certainly shan't get out of here in a hurry. "'But why have they done this?' cried Steve. "'I can't understand.' for precisely the same reason that they left the car on Hell's elbow, replied Temple grimly. Obviously, our visit wasn't the surprise I thought it would be. He brooded upon the situation for some minutes. Couldn't we break the door down? suggested Steve at length. But Temple shook his head. Not this door, I'm afraid, he said. Why is it padded at the foot? asked Steve. He bent down and examined the strip of heavy padding which had somehow been fastened on the underside of the door. Meanwhile, Steve wandered away to take stock of the rest of the room. Underneath one of the ventilators, she paused, listened, then looked upwards. Her scream startled Temple in his contemplation of the door. Paul, look! He ran across to her and followed the indication of her trembling finger. A thin stream of water was trickling steadily through the ventilator. Temple caught his breath, then turned abruptly, and ran across to the other ventilator. There was an even stronger stream flowing through it. My God! he ejaculated. So that's what it is! They're... they're flooding the room! cried Steve. They could hear the water quite distinctly now, as it tumbled through the ventilators in almost a miniature cascade. "'Temple rushed across and shook the doorknob vigorously. "'The water was now about an inch deep on the floor. "'Open this door!' shouted Temple desperately, "'hammering at the panel with both fists. "'Paul, we've got to get out somehow,' she said. "'It's no use, I'm afraid,' he replied, turning away from the door. "'We'll just have to wait.' "'He sank onto the table, where Steve was already perched,' "'watching the water slowly rising. "'He placed an arm around her. "'Frightened, dear?' he whispered. "'Yes, I am, rather,' she confessed. "'He clasped her shoulder reassuringly, "'though he felt far from hopeful. "'For a second or two he gazed thoughtfully down at the water. "'At this rate, I should say, we've got about an hour,' he estimated. "'Possibly longer.' It's difficult to tell. Steve shivered. Cold, darling? She nodded without speaking, and they were both silent for some minutes. Steve, said Temple at length. Yes, darling? I'm I'm terribly sorry about this business. Don't be silly, Paul. She tried to smile bravely. It, it just can't be helped. That's all. Once again, there was a long pause. There's nothing we can do, I'm afraid, except wait. I suppose this room is on the side of the lake, Steve speculated. Yes, murmured Temple thoughtfully. It must be. He took Steve's hand in his. It's funny, you know. I've often wondered how people reacted under circumstances like this. It's also very unreal, and yet... "'He hesitated. "'What is it, dear?' "'Nothing,' said Steve. "'I was just thinking, that's all.' "'There was a suspicious catch in her voice. "'Thinking,' repeated Temple, rather puzzled. "'Do you remember that first summer, darling? "'Capri, yes, Capri. "'The blue sky, the gay little houses, "'the crazy little steamer, and the donkey. "'Oh, yes, the donkey.' "'Temple smiled reminiscently. "'Stubborn fellow at the best of times.' "'He squeezed her hand. "'I'm sorry I landed you in this mess, darling.' "'It's nothing,' said Steve. "'But there was a catch in her voice. "'Suddenly Temple jumped off the table "'and crossed over to the door. "'He was both annoyed and irritated. "'Good God!' he cried in angry tones. "'We're talking as if the whole business were over, and we were finished. "'We got ourselves into this, and we're going to get out of it.' "'It's no use, Paul,' said Steve, watching him throw his weight against the door. "'But Temple still persisted. "'After a while he rejoined her. "'I'm afraid the door is hopeless,' he declared gloomily, "'then brightened a little. "'We might be able to stop the water, though.' "'He took off his coat,' "'folded it into the smallest possible compass, "'and, taking a chair, managed to wedge the garment "'into one of the ventilator grids. "'This reduced the flow considerably, "'but the water continued to rush through the other grid "'at an alarming rate. "'We shall hold out a little longer at any rate,' he said. "'Steve took off the coat of the costume she was wearing "'and was about to follow her husband's example "'when she suddenly paused. "'Paul?' she cried suddenly. What is it? Didn't you hear anything? No, he replied rather diffidently. He was concentrating on the flow of water. I don't think that coat of yours— Paul, listen! They stood silent for a minute. At first they could hear only the steady gush of water, then very faintly, almost like a distant echo, came the muffled voice of Sir Graham Forbes. Temple! "'Where are your temple?' "'Desperately, Paul Temple turned towards the door. "'My God! "'It's Forbes! "'We've got to make him hear us, Steve!' "'For all they knew, Sir Graham might be at the other end of the house, "'and the water was rising rapidly. "'We'll have to be quick, darling.' "'As Temple paused to regain his breath, "'he noticed that above the door was an old-fashioned fanlight "'heavily smeared with dust and paint.' It was so dirty as to be almost indistinguishable. Without another moment's hesitation, Temple seized a chair, and there was the sudden shattering of thick glass. "'Darling, you've cut yourself!' cried Steve in alarm. "'No, I'm all right,' he answered. "'Where the devil are your temple?' It was Forbes shouting, and the voice sounded much nearer. "'We are at the end of the corridor,' cried Temple. "'For God's sake, be quick!' There was a sound of footsteps running along the stone passage, and Steve gave a sigh of relief. "'Stand away from the door!' shouted Forbes. "'Stand back, Steve!' said Temple, taking her arm. Several heavy blows fell on the door, and finally the panel splintered. Through the aperture they could see Forbes swinging a huge coal-hammer and dealing heavy blows on the lock. As the lock gave way, there was a rush of water which nearly swept the chief commissioner off his feet." The three of them managed to stagger up the stairs and out into the entrance hall. "'What's been going on here?' demanded Forbes, shaking himself. "'We'll explain later,' said Temple excitedly. "'Did you get any of them?' "'Yes,' replied Forbes. "'We arrested Ben and Iris Archer.' "'Iris? "'Yes. "'She was in a car at the High Morford Junction, "'obviously waiting to pick him up. "'Come on, Sir Graham.' ''Let's get back,'' said Temple urgently. A few moments later, several Highland shepherds were more than a little mystified to see a hatless young man in shirt sleeves driving a car across the moors in a manner that completely ignored the existence of speed limits. Iris Archer was making a bold attempt to conceal her annoyance. It had been irritating enough to be confined in the single cell of the local police station for a couple of hours with Ben as a companion. But she preferred even that to her present prospect of facing a battery of questions from Temple and Forbes. They were in Temple's room at the Royal Gate, a room with which Iris was by now quite familiar. "'Really, I can't for the life of me think what this is all about,' she said crossly, by way of opening the conversation." ''Sit down, Iris,'' said Temple quietly, and catching his level glance, she subsided. But unlike Ben, Iris was quite calm. ''You've got nothing on me,'' Ben shouted. ''I don't know anything about anything.'' ''You sound very helpful, I must say,'' retorted Forbes grimly. Paul Temple smiled. ''Where have they taken Hardwick?'' "'he said. "'I don't know.' "'Suddenly Ben lost his temper. "'I don't know what the hell all this is about.' "'You soon will, my friend,' said Temple, imperturbably. "'Where have they taken Hardwick?' "'Forbes repeated the question, in rather a more businesslike tone. "'For God's sake, don't keep on asking me the same ruddy questions,' "'cried Ben, almost hysterically. "'He was about to continue,' But the door opened quietly, and he hesitated. Dr. Ludwig Steiner stood in the doorway. Instinctively, all eyes turned towards the newcomer. Temple watched Ben and Iris very carefully, but they betrayed no sign of recognition. "'I am given to understand that you want to see me, Mr. Temple,' said Steiner slowly. "'Yes, of course. Come in, Doctor.' Then, for the first time, they saw that Rex Bryant was behind the doctor's ample figure. "'Ah! Come in, Rex,' Temple invited. "'I hope I'm not intruding,' said Bryant, with rather unusual politeness. "'But Steve said that you wanted a word with me.' Forbes took the doctor's arm and led him over to where Iris was sitting. "'Dr. Steiner. Is this the young lady who was with Mr. Temple when— Why, yes! cried Steiner quickly. But of course! Iris looked at him impudently, then with a slight shrug turned away. Have you seen this man before, Doctor? continued Forbes, indicating Ben. Steiner wrinkled his brow. Why, no, not that I am a of, he said. "'What about you, Bryant?' queried Forbes, turning to Rex. Rex paused a moment before answering, "'No, I haven't seen him before.' "'You've seen Iris Archer before, naturally,' Forbes persisted. Rex grinned. "'I was once a dramatic critic for one night,' he recalled, "'and I'm afraid Miss Archer was one of my, uh, victims. Uh, "'I should like to take this opportunity of apologizing. He gave a polite bow, but Iris completely ignored him. Mr. Richmond, you must forgive me, Steiner interposed, but I am afraid I do not understand. My name is not Richmond, sir, said Forbes brusquely. It's Forbes. Sir Graham Forbes of Scotland Yard. Scotland Yard? "'repeated Steiner thoughtfully, "'rolling the consonants with undue emphasis. "'That explains a great deal.' "'It doesn't explain what the hell I'm doing here,' Ben snarled. "'I think you have a pretty good idea about that,' said Temple, "'regarding him intently. "'Look here, Paul, this is getting beyond a joke.' "'Iris was beginning to protest when Temple interrupted her "'in a tone that was unduly ruthless for him.' I'm inclined to agree, Iris. It is beyond a joke. A man was killed yesterday near Skellifor. I don't know what on earth you're talking about, she replied coldly. The door opened rather suddenly to reveal Mrs. Weston. She was holding a telegram. I'll take it, Mrs. Weston, said Sir Graham. It's addressed to someone called Forbes, she pointed out. "'I told the boy we hadn't anybody of that name stay in here, "'but the cheeky young monkey wouldn't wait. "'That's all right, Mrs Weston,' nodded Forbes quickly "'and almost closed the door himself. "'There was a silence while Forbes rapidly tore open the flimsy envelope. "'After he had read the message, he looked up. "'His gaze was directed at Ben. "'Your name is Collins,' he said slowly. "'Roy Benjamin Collins. "'You are wanted for the murder of a girl named Rita Allenby.' "'It's a lie!' shouted Ben. "'You can't pin a rap on me like that!' "'He looked round wildly at the door and window, "'as if searching for a means of escape. "'We don't have to pin anything, Ben,' said Forbes calmly. "'The facts are here,' he indicated the slip of orange paper." "'Once more, Ben looked round like a trapped animal. "'What is it you want to know?' "'Where have they taken Hardwick?' asked Forbes quietly. "'I don't know,' muttered Ben. "'For God's sake, let me alone. "'Ben, if you pull yourself together, "'I might be inclined to overlook this afternoon's incident,' said Temple. "'Don't you see?' You've got to tell us the truth sooner or later, Forbes rapped out. But I've told you, protested Ben. I don't know anything. How did you know that Temple was leaving for Aberdeen in the morning? said Forbes. Suddenly Ben made up his mind to talk. If Scotland Yard already knew about Rita Allenby, he reflected, then obviously he had nothing to lose. Mrs. Moffat told us, he replied. She came to the house. Mrs. Moffat, echoed Forbes, more than a little surprised. Iris jumped up from her chair. Shut up, she ordered desperately, addressing Ben for the first time. Keep your mouth shut, you damn fool, or... Temple quietly interposed himself between Iris and Ben. Carry on, Ben. Mrs. Moffat came to the house, and... "'She came to the house,' continued Ben, licking his lips nervously. "'And told us that she'd received instructions from Ben.' "'For God's sake, keep your mouth shut!' shrieked Iris. "'That she had received instructions from Z-4?' suggested Temple. Ben nodded. "'Yes.' "'From Z-4.' "'How did Mrs. Moffat receive the instructions?' "'I... I don't remember.' "'Ben,' Temple reproved him gently. "'I don't remember, I tell you. "'Let me get out of here.' Forbes waved the telegram form suggestively. "'We've got to know how Mrs. Muffet received those instructions,' he said quietly. "'I don't know. I don't know.' cried Ben hysterically. He seemed to be almost on the verge of a nervous collapse, and Steiner regarded him with a certain amount of alarm. Sir Graham, he suggested tentatively. Forbes did not relish the interruption, but Steiner insisted. Perhaps a drink would enable him to— Ben looked up. Yeah, get me a drink. Please, get me a drink, he begged. "'Sir Graham nodded and turned towards the bell-push. "'I'll slip downstairs,' Rex offered, "'but Temple forestalled him. "'There's no need for that, Rex. "'I've got a flask here.' "'He took a small flask from his coat pocket and unscrewed the cap. "'The flask was new and probably held about half a pint. "Scotch," asked Ben, and Temple nodded. "'It had just occurred to Forbes that it was rather unusual for the novelist to carry a flask "'when his gaze rested on Ben. "'Ben had already taken a very long drink, "'and there was something both strange and rather frightening "'about the way he was staring. "'The flask dangled from his fingers "'and after a second or two fell with a clatter onto the wooden floor. "'Suddenly his head fell forward too, "'as if he was still anxious to keep his eyes on the flask "'without the necessary effort of moving his body. "'Sir Graham was puzzled.' He made a movement towards Ben, but a sudden exclamation from Iris made him halt. My God! cried Iris. He's dead. Forbes crossed over to Ben and took hold of his wrist. After a little while, he looked up. Yes. He's dead, all right, he said quietly. Then I think perhaps, under the circumstances, You had better take care of this, Sir Graham, said Temple, and picked up the flask. My God, Temple, breathed Iris in complete bewilderment. You killed him! You killed him! Temple shook his head. He seemed completely unshaken by the sudden turn of events. I didn't kill him, Iris, he said quietly. Ben was killed by Zed-4. Zed-4! cried Iris, and there was no mistaking the astonishment in her voice. It must be recorded that for some unknown reason, Rex Bryant was looking at Dr. Steiner. Chapter 5 In which Mrs. Moffat receives a visitor John Hardwick was an embittered man. His rather simple outlook on life, which was a natural outcome of his calling, had been badly bruised in the course of its contacts with the War Office. After expending far more nervous energy than he could afford in threading his way through the annoying departmental inquiries and counter-inquiries, his patience was at an end. When he had at last discovered an official capable of comprehending his technical language— he managed to arrange various tests for the Hardwick screen. By a stroke of ill luck, a trifling hitch had upset the final tests, and rather than offer him a little human encouragement, the officials had put in a half-hearted report that was now gathering dust in the files. After several weeks of irksome inquiries, Hardwick had received the shabby specification in a registered envelope. About two months after his visit to the War Office... Hardwick received a visitor in the person of Major Guest. Guest drew a very pleasant picture of a perfectly equipped laboratory in the wilds of Scotland where no outsider would interfere and where there was every facility for experiment. Reasonably enough, he pointed out that no inventor immersed in his job could be expected to market his inventions to the best advantage. No one saw his point more clearly than Hardwick. It seemed that Guest represented a syndicate— which could be relied upon to negotiate the screen with a more interested party than the War Office. All they asked in return was a third share of the proceeds. Since they had to fit up a laboratory in a large house, which they had already purchased at considerable expense, in addition to making all the arrangements for the disposal of the screen, this seemed fair enough. Hardwick had by this time remedied the flaw in the Hardwick screen, and was eager to start work on the Hardwick beam— which would involve the purchase of several crates of costly apparatus. To say the least, this offer was opportune. In any case, John Hardwick was never particularly interested in money, except as a medium for the acquiring of the apparatus he needed. All he asked from life was a simple mode of existence and eighteen hours a day to devote to his experiments. He was basically a dreamer, but recent events had developed a certain shrewdness in his make-up. Outside his own work, he closed up like an oyster. At Skerry Lodge, he took no particular notice of the people who received him. They saw that his bodily comforts were attended to, and procured any particular piece of apparatus he wanted at exceptionally short notice. He was, in fact, left very much to himself.' "'and all that was asked of him was a weekly report detailing progress to date "'and written as simply as possible. "'This was read by Guest and Van Draper, "'then forwarded to Z4 under various fictitious names at post restante. "'On his arrival Hardwick had been asked for the specifications of the screen, "'but it was understood that these were to be kept in the safe at Skerry Lodge "'and should be available to either party.' As his hosts politely pointed out, they might have to produce evidence that they had the goods to deliver. Hardwick was not particularly interested in the nationality of any such purchaser. Any traces of patriotism in his make-up had been very firmly erased during his negotiations with the War Office. Of course, if Great Britain made the best bid, they were welcome to the Hardwick screen. The inventor was quite indifferent. This attitude could not have suited Guest and Van Draper better. Hardwick gave them very little trouble. In fact, he might almost have been one of the organisation. All the same, they had a shrewd suspicion that once the beam was perfected, Z4 would not be content with a third share. A few weeks after his arrival, Hardwick had suggested that they might like a demonstration of the screen— and this had proved so successful that Guest, who was well informed on military matters, had sent a special report to Z-4 urging an immediate disposal of the screen. But Z-4 had preferred to await the result of the beam experiments, which would more than double the value of the first invention. His experiences with the War Office had bred a certain amount of caution in Hardwick. Although his reports appeared quite comprehensive— They did not contain every detail. In fact, he was keeping back just enough detail to prevent any appropriation of his ideas until he received his share of the proceeds. Somehow, he did not altogether trust Guest and Van Draper. He didn't quite know why, though, for that matter, he hardly trusted anyone nowadays, except his brother, Hubert. Strange he had not heard from Hubert for some time. He usually wrote about once a week, a short, flippant letter telling of some recent misadventure. He had written twice to Hubert without receiving a reply, which rather worried him. Hardwick had been so absorbed in his work that he had not noticed the atmosphere of strain that had become very apparent at Skerry Lodge during the past week. Guest and Van Draper had been careful to conceal it as much as possible on the few occasions they were in contact with Hardwick. So the inventor was more than a little startled when Van Draper entered his laboratory one day and peremptorily ordered him to pack up as much apparatus as he could, leaving nothing of any importance. Hardwick was inclined to resent this. He ran his hands through his thinning hair in some perplexity and frowned. Van Draper was impatient. "'There's no time to be lost!' he snapped. The inventor still appeared bewildered. "'We've got to get out of here!' "'Half Scotland Yard will soon be on the doorstep,' rasped Van Draper. "'But look here,' Hardwick began to protest. "'Van Draper made an impatient gesture. "'If you don't pack up and come along now, "'this will mean the end of all your experiments "'and our chance to sell the screen.' "'But Hardwick was still perplexed. "'I still don't see what right anyone has to interfere,' he was beginning when Van Draper cut him short. "'It seems as if I'll have to use a little persuasion,' he declared, and Hardwick found himself looking into the barrel of the neat little revolver. John Hardwick shrugged his shoulders helplessly and turned to pack his apparatus. Even the placid Steiner was plainly upset by the revolting spectacle of Ben's death agonies. It appeared as if Temple had engineered the whole business, and Temple had always seemed such a trustworthy sort of person. Why should he wish to be rid of Ben, who seemed to be on the verge of divulging some rather important evidence? And now he declared that Z-4 was the man who had been responsible for the murder. Z-4? But I do not understand. Who is this Z-4, and what—he was beginning— when Rex Bryant interrupted. "'What's in that flask, Sir Graham?' he demanded abruptly. Forbes sniffed the flask rather tentatively. He paused, then sniffed again. At last he spoke. "'Cyanide!' he murmured softly. "'Cyanide!' echoed Rex with a shudder. "'No wonder the poor devil went through hell!' He regarded the body with a puzzled frown. Steiner was equally perplexed. But surely you must have known Mr. Temple, he gasped incredulously. Of course he knew, snapped Iris angrily. But Temple ignored her and faced Steiner. Doctor, do you really think I'd have given him that flask if I'd had any idea of the contents? Steiner shook his head helplessly. "'No, no, of course not,' he replied with an expressive gesture. "'Naturally, I would not dream of suggesting—' "'He broke off in obvious dismay. "'That's all right, Doctor,' Temple cut in quietly. "'But Iris was not to be denied. "'Hands on hips, she stared at Temple accusingly. "'It seems quite obvious to me—' she pronounced deliberately if z4 killed ben then paul temple is z4 there was a dry chuckle from sir graham but the others were silent temple was the first to speak it's an interesting theory iris he smiled an interesting theory if nothing else i agree temple said forbes Maybe it wouldn't stand up to close examination. Still, it's a theory. There's no need to be so damn smug about it, cried Iris angrily. We know that Temple gave Ben the flask, and we know from what Mrs. Moffat said that Zed-4 is here at the inn. Realizing that she had said too much, she stopped short. What did Mrs. Moffat say? Temple asked quietly. There was a pause. Iris looked at each of them in turn. Steiner was obviously awaiting her reply with some eagerness. So was Sir Graham. Rex was bending over Ben and apparently taking little notice of the conversation. Temple's face was quite expressionless, but his rather dreamy eyes had taken on a piercing quality. You were about to tell us what Mrs. Moffat said, he reminded her politely. "'Nothing,' retorted Iris, with an air of bravado. "'Nothing at all.' "'Then,' proceeded Temple, "'perhaps you wouldn't mind explaining that remark of yours.' "'Iris appeared to flare up again. "'If there's any explaining to be done, "'don't you think you ought to explain away this murder? "'Where did you get that flask?' "'Yes.' "'put in Forbes, falling into Iris's trap to sidetrack the conversation. "'Where did you get that flask?' "'Temple smiled rather sleepily. "'Well, it's a long story,' he began. "'An uncle of mine who keeps an antique shop in Bangkok "'has a passion for these flasks. "'Chinese flasks, Japanese flasks, Russian flasks. "'It's positively astounding.' With annoying deliberation, he paused and lit a cigarette. "'Though I suppose it isn't astounding, really,' he went on. "'Because, you see, he isn't really my uncle, after all.' There was a quiet laugh from Rex, who seemed to be the only one to appreciate that Temple was playing Iris at her own game. "'Well, uh, I I think we'll leave the question of the flask for the time being.' said Forbes at length. He realized that Temple had some reason for not wishing Iris to know the story of the flask. Why should we leave it? demanded Iris. Just because, just because there's a more important question, Iris. Temple quietly informed her. A more important question? Temple threw his cigarette into the grate. Where have they taken John Hardwick? he demanded abruptly. If Iris was surprised to hear the name, she did not show it. I don't know what you're talking about, she answered. Don't you, Iris? Perhaps Mrs. Moffat would enlighten you. Mrs. Moffat? Who is this Mrs. Moffat? asked Steiner, still very mystified. I say, cried Rex, suddenly enlightened. "'You don't mean the old girl in the village with the elastic-sided boots, "'the old dear in the sweet shop Camp post office "'Temple nodded. "'Well, how on earth does she fit into all this?' "'Rex was anxious to discover. "'You know Mrs. Moffat?' demanded Forbes, eyeing him intently. "'Well, I don't exactly know her,' replied Rex. "'I've been in the shop once or twice, that's all.' He seemed to be about to enlarge on this, but Sir Graham cut him short. He exchanged a glance with Temple, then turned towards Rex once more. I should consider it a favour, Brian, if you and Dr. Steiner would leave us for a short while. Yes, yes, Steiner readily agreed. We are in the way, young man. Come along. Rex followed him lazily to the door. "'There's nothing like a subtle hint, is there, Temple?' he grinned. "'I presume this is one of the many occasions "'when the police consider it is not advisable for the press to be represented. "'Come along, Doctor. "'You can buy me a large glass of your favourite lager.' "'When the door had closed, Forbes and Temple returned to Iris once more. "'Now, Iris,' began Temple quietly. "'What's this a cue for?' she demanded insolently, "'standing with her back to the fireplace "'and eyeing them with a certain amount of contempt. "'The pose suited her admirably, "'and even Sir Graham could not help reflecting "'that her beauty was more than a little startling, "'in spite of her recent experiences. "'But Temple was quite unimpressed. "'We want to know where they've taken John Hardwick,' "'he declared flatly. "'And who, precisely?' "'Are they?' she replied, "'a contemptuous smile flickering around the finely chiselled lips. "'But Temple had decided that they had no more time to waste. "'Listen, Iris,' he said in determined tones, "'there's been quite enough beating about the bush. "'All right,' she agreed. "'Let's stop beating about it.' "'But she made no attempt to answer the question. "'After a while,' The chief commissioner spoke. Miss Archer, I don't know whether you realize it or not, but I have a warrant for your arrest. On what charge? Attempted murder. Iris was obviously taken by surprise. The cigarette, Iris, Temple reminded her softly. Remember the cigarette? "'A thoughtful expression passed swiftly across her features. "'Then she laughed lightly. "'You'll never get away with that, Temple. "'Why, how can you prove that you seem to have overlooked the fact "'that I have a witness?' said Temple. "'Dr. Steiner came into the room and caught you.' "'And who the hell is Dr. Steiner?' cried Iris angrily. "'It's only a case of his word against mine.' "'It needn't be a case of anything, Iris.' Temple interposed suavely, "'If you use your head, what do you mean? "'I just want you to answer a question.' "'Well?' "'Are you Z 4 "'Iris straightened herself sharply. "'No!' she cried, almost desperately. "'Then,' persisted Temple, "'Who is?' She shook her head. "'I don't know.' "'Mrs. Moffat?' suggested Temple softly. "'I don't know, I tell you,' she replied petulantly. "'All right,' Temple nodded. "'A little while ago you said, "'We know from what Mrs. Moffat said that Z-4 is here at the inn. "'How do we know that Z-4 is here?' "'Iris hesitated.' "'but replied eventually, "'Because Mrs. Moffat received a message from Z-4. "'Was the message received the night before Steve and I left for Aberdeen?' "'Yes.' "'My God, Temple!' cried Sir Graham, striding swiftly up and down. "'It seems to prove that Mrs. Moffat is right. "'Only someone staying at the inn could possibly have known "'that you and Steve were leaving.' But Temple was concentrating on Iris. If Mrs. Moffat isn't Z-4, does she know who Z-4 really is? He continued. No, answered Iris. Not yet. Temple nodded slowly as he turned over the significance of the last remark. But surely Guest or Van Draper must have made contact, interrupted Forbes rather excitedly. Iris smiled enigmatically, a smile that had gone a long way to making her famous. No one knows the identity of Z-4 Sir Graham, she told him, not even the infallible Paul Temple. But Temple refused to rise to the bait. All he said was, I shouldn't be too sure of that, Iris, if I were you. There was something in his voice which made both Iris and Forbes pause. "'Their reflections were interrupted, however, by a knock at the door. "'Forbes looked apprehensively at the body. "'That sounds like Mrs. Weston,' he said. "'We'd better keep her out of here.' "'It's all right. She can't see Ben from the door,' Temple reassured him. "'When he opened the door, Mrs. Weston was waiting with a telegram. "'Just arrived, Mr. Temple. It's for you this time.' "'Temple took the envelope, which was somewhat crumpled. "'Looks as if it's been opened,' she murmured. "'Temple was scanning the message. "'All right, thanks, Mrs. Weston. "'No reply.' "'He closed the door. "'Anything important?' asked Forbes. "'Temple shook his head. "'He thrust the envelope in his pocket and resumed the cross-examination. "'Iris!' "'What do you mean by saying that Mrs. Moffat doesn't know who Four is yet? "'What does that yet imply?' "'She shrugged her shoulders. "'It can imply just what the devil you like.' "'Temple took a step nearer. "'You've got to tell us more about Mrs. Moffat,' he said grimly. "'And you've also got to tell us where they've taken Hardwick,' added Forbes. "'I don't know where they've taken Hardwick.' I've told you that already, she replied coolly. And Mrs. Moffat? Iris seemed disconcerted for a moment. Then she said steadily, There's nothing more to tell about Mrs. Moffat. And if you think I'm going to spend the rest of the night going through a blasted third degree, then you're very much mistaken. Very well, Miss Archer, said Forbes smoothly. If you have no wish to answer any further questions, that's quite in order. His manner made Iris apprehensive. What's going to happen now? She was anxious to know. You'll spend the night here, Forbes informed her coldly. Tomorrow, Detective Inspector Fuller will take you to Glasgow. Under arrest? Of course. Temple made one last attempt. "'Iris, don't be a fool,' he urged. "'You know perfectly well what they've done with Hardwick.' "'Oh, for God's sake, leave me alone,' she said in a voice that was very near to tears. "'Temple said, "'I'm sorry, Iris, but we've got to find out what they've done to John Hardwick.' "'I don't know,' she cried. "'How many more times do I have to tell you?' "'It's no use, Temple.' growled Forbes. There was silence for a few moments. Though she had momentarily allowed her emotions to get the better of her, Iris made a quick recovery. Eventually she spoke quite calmly. ''Since I have apparently no other alternative but to spend the night here, perhaps you will be good enough to show me to my room,'' she suggested. ''Yes, all right,'' Forbes agreed. He was moving over to the door when Temple stopped him. Wait a moment, said the novelist. What is it? demanded Iris in tones of exaggerated weariness. Temple took the orange envelope from his pocket. I'd like you to know the contents of this telegram, Iris. It can't possibly interest me, she protested, though there was an element of doubt in her voice. That, "'said Temple slowly. "'Is a matter of opinion.' "'What does it say, Temple?' asked Forbes. "'It was handed in at Nice at five-thirty this evening,' "'continued Temple. "'Perhaps you'd like to read it for yourself.' "'He passed the flimsy paper over to Iris. "'She read, "'Thanks for Telegram. "'Information you require as follows.' Hotel Martinez, April 14th, 1932. The telegram fell from Iris's fingers. Look out, Temple! She's going to faint! cried Forbes. But Temple had anticipated this. Carefully, he lowered Iris into an armchair. She's passed out, all right, commented Forbes dryly, picking up the telegram. Hotel Martinez. April the fourteenth, nineteen thirty two, he repeated. The Chief Commissioner looked across at Paul Temple. He was obviously bewildered. The first-class waiting-room at High Moorford Junction is one of the last places on earth in which one would choose to wait. In fact, most passengers preferred to linger on the platform except in very cold weather. "'when there was a faint glimmer of fire in the rusty grate. "'The dirty green walls had been recklessly scribbled upon, "'and even the generously coloured posters "'depicting the alluring attractions of the sunny south "'had a dowdy appearance. "'Though the waiting-room was swept out daily, "'one could feel the dust hanging in the atmosphere, "'and it came as no surprise to see cobwebs in distant corners. "'It was towards midday,' when Detective Inspector Fuller and Iris Archer entered the waiting-room, followed by Andy Clake, whose station-master's uniform looked as if it would be the better for the vigorous application of a clothes-brush. Fuller was not in the best of tempers, for he had apparently been misinformed about the train services, and Andy Clake had not been exactly helpful beyond shaking his head mournfully and insisting that they would have to change for Glasgow. "'And how long have we got to wait here?' Fuller was saying, as they entered the waiting-room. "'Ye can't tell,' replied Andy, with an indifferent shrug. "'Not long, I hope,' put in Iris. "'Ye can't tell,' repeated Andy woodenly. "'They told us at Inverdale that it was a through-train,' Fuller insisted. "'Oh!' They must have forgotten the trains have been altered for the autumn schedule, Andy suggested. I see. Then it's a good job you yanked us out in time, said Fuller. Do you think I might have a cigarette, Inspector? asked Iris. Or would that be asking too much? Fuller shook his head. I'm sorry, miss. That would be against my instructions. He turned to Andy once more. Look here, are you quite certain that we change here for Glasgow? I'm Station Master here, replied Andy with sudden dignity. I didn't ask you that, Fuller snapped. you will be here three hours at least, Clake calmly informed him. The next train is at 3.15. 3.15? echoed Fuller in astonishment. Andy nodded. That's what I said. But good heavens, man, snorted Fuller in exasperation. We can't stay in here all that time. If Andy resented this criticism of the waiting room, he showed no sign of it. There's always the platform, of course, he replied indifferently. Look here, went on Fuller in some desperation. My name's Fuller, Detective Inspector Fuller. "'How d'ye do?' muttered Andy, quite unimpressed. "'Andy Clake's the name Station Master.' "'Your sparkling personality doesn't seem to have registered, Inspector,' smiled Iris. Fuller shook himself impatiently. "'Mr. Clake, I don't think you quite appreciate the urgency of my business,' he rasped. "'The next train to Glasgow will be at 3.15.' Clake put in quietly. It would still be at three hundred fifteen, Mr Fuller, if you was the Tsar of Russia. But there isn't a Tsar any longer, Mr Clake, interposed Iris brightly. Hasn't the news reached here yet? Andy regarded her curiously, then turned to Fuller. Who is this young woman? he demanded quietly. I've seen her before somewhere. "'Fuller did not attempt to answer his question. "'Have you a telephone here?' he demanded. "'There's one in the office,' Andy informed him. "'It'll cost you—' "'That's all right. "'Where's the office?' "'At the end of the platform, near the slot machine.' "'Fuller turned to Iris. "'I'm going to telephone for a car. "'We can't stay here until 3.15. "'God knows when we'd get to Glasgow.' ''You think of everything, Inspector,'' said Iris sarcastically. ''Anyhow, I'm not in any hurry.'' ''Well, I am,'' snapped Fuller. ''I've got a wife and kids waiting for me.'' Iris shrugged. ''It must take nerve to marry a policeman,'' she said. Fuller smiled and went across to Clake again. ''I want you to stay here while I telephone.'' "'I have my job to be getting on with, you know,' Andy pointed out. Fuller ignored the remark. "'Is there a key to this door?' Andy nodded. "'I should like it, please. "'But look here,' the stationmaster began to protest, "'when Iris broke in with her rippling laugh. "'It's quite all right, Mr. Clegg. "'You see, I'm a desperate criminal, "'so naturally the inspector must take all the necessary precautions.' "'Andy gave a mirthless chuckle. "'Yes, well, I'm quite capable of looking after a wee lass, "'though I may not be a policeman.' "'Fuller gave him a shrewd glance. "Uh, "'All right,' he agreed at length. "'I shan't be long.' "'The door closed with a squeak of protest, "'and the inspector's heavy footsteps echoed along the platform. "'A tank engine!' huffed breathlessly in one of the sidings. A goods train clanked its way dismally through the station, and the whistle of a distant express came shrilling over the moors. Iris took her cigarette case from her bag, then replaced it. Suddenly, she went over to the station-master, took off his hat, and broke into waves of hysterical laughter. "'My God! What a make-up! Darling, I could have screamed!' "'She replaced the hat. "'Where's Lawrence?' Guest adjusted his hat carefully. "'He's in the office, waiting for the inspector. "'Poor old Fuller. "'Not a bad sort, if he didn't take his work so seriously. "'I'm afraid he's in for a warm reception.' She perched on the edge of the table. Tell me how did it all happen? Guest smiled. Mrs. Moffat must take the credit for the idea, he admitted. Mrs. Moffat? Yes. She knew that the train stopped at High Morford. Apparently this particular train always does. But the station master Guest laughed. "'It didn't take us long to handle poor old Clake, "'although young Merson was certainly a handful.' "'Merson, he's the potter,' Guest explained. "'And how that boy can wallop?' "'He rubbed his jaw rather gingerly. "'But what have you done with these people?' "'Clake's all right. "'We dumped him in a goods wagon on the other side of the line. "'Merson, I regret to say.' "'overstepped the bounds of discretion. "'So we had to put him to sleep rather forcibly.' "'The door opened with its customary groan, "'and Van Draper came in. "'She's all right, then?' he asked with a sharp glance at Iris. "'Iris nodded. "'Yes, I'm all right.' "'Van Draper was obviously ill at ease. "'We'd better get away from here, guest, "'and damn quickly, too,' he announced. "'What's happened?' "'It's fuller,' Van Draper sighed. "'My God, that man was a handful!' Guest took Iris by the arm. "'As they made for the door, he began issuing instructions. "'Your car's outside, Iris. "'Make straight for the chalet, you know the way. "'Straight through the village, and bare left, about a mile from Aberford.' "'Iris halted. "'But what about you and Lawrence? We have to see Mrs. Moffat. We'll join you at the Shirley later. I see. Iris paused, then suddenly faced Van Draper. Lawrence, how did Mrs. Moffat know that I should be on that particular train? She received information from Z-4, replied Van Draper coolly. Iris's smooth brow contracted. She was more than a little puzzled. Z-4 hasn't contacted her yet. Personally, I mean. Van Draper shook his head. Iris still seemed very uneasy. She looked at each man in turn, but their faces were inscrutable. Then I'll see you both later. At the chalet, she murmured at length. We shall be there about four, assented Van Draper quietly. "'Iris was still patently uncomfortable, "'but neither man offered any further explanation. "'Finally, with a tiny shrug, she went to the door. "'I'll show you where your car is parked, Iris,' offered Van Draper. "'Thanks.' "'She turned to Guest. "'See you later.' "'Guest nodded. "'Good-bye, Iris.' "'When they had gone,' Guest strolled round the waiting-room, whistling softly to himself. Through the grimy window, he saw Van Draper and Iris disappear down the station drive. He was just deciding to change out of his uniform when the door was flung open and a calm voice said, "'Drop that gun!' His movement forestalled, Guest dropped his revolver. Detective Inspector Fuller crossed over and picked it up. "'How—how the devil did you get out?' "'Stammered Guest. "'Fuller ignored the question. "'Where's the other man?' he demanded rapidly. "'I don't know who you're talking about,' stalled Guest, his brain working quickly. "'Where is he?' insisted Fuller. "'Where is the swine?' "'Fuller was obviously desperate. "'I tell you, I don't know,' replied Guest, with some heat. "'By God, if there's any more funny business in this place—' "'began Fuller. "'Look out!' shouted Guest suddenly. "'The door had creaked again. "'Fuller swung round, but he was too late. "'There was the sharp crack of a revolver, "'and clutching his left side, the detective crumpled into a heap. "'Guest bent over the inert form, then straightened himself. "'Good job you shouted,' said Van Draper quietly. "'Otherwise?' "'I don't think I would have got him in time.' "'No, perhaps not,' agreed Guest softly. "'That shot must have echoed. "'I doubt if it was heard above all that shunting that's going on.' "'Guest nodded. "'All the same, we'd better get out of here, Van.' "'He went to the door, looked round cautiously, "'then beckoned to Van Draper.' "'Putting on a bold front, they walked out of the waiting-room, "'along the platform, and towards Van Draper's car, "'which was parked just outside. "'After they had proceeded for perhaps half a mile, "'guest asked the question which had been uppermost in his mind "'since Van Draper's return. "'Did Iris get... "'Yes,' replied the other, rather impatiently. "'She got away all right. "'The car appeared quite normal.' Guest wrinkled his brow, pursed his lips, and nodded. "'How far do you think she'll get before anything happens?' asked Van Draper, deftly changing gear. Oh, "'Difficult to tell. Perhaps a couple of miles. "'The roads are pretty bad, you know, and she drives like the devil. "'She'll certainly be stepping on it at the moment, good and hard. "'There isn't much fear of us overtaking her just yet. Van!' Why do you think Mrs. Moffat heard from Zed 4 about Iris? said Guest, who did not altogether like the look of things. It's all perfectly obvious, said Van Draper. Iris must have been on the verge of talking. That's why Zed 4 worked out this pretty little plan. And I had instructions to doctor the car. Van Draper nodded. I feel rather sorry about Iris, he mused frowning thoughtfully at the winding road ahead. She had great charm, if nothing else. Yes, agreed Guest slowly. Great charm. For some minutes, each man was busy with his own thoughts. They swung round a corner and began to overtake a blue saloon ahead. That car's familiar, muttered Guest thoughtfully. Suddenly he clutched Van Draper's arm. Don't pass them, Van. Why not? It's Temple. And his wife. Van Draper peered at the car in front. So it is. Don't pass them, repeated Guest. We don't want to run up against Temple just now. Van Draper nodded, and the car slowed down to a steady thirty miles an hour.